Hello, good morning, and welcome to Film House. Some moron gave me the keys to this show for an episode, so we're going to be talking about what I want to talk about today. And that is the instant hit classic, hit animated classic, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. And I have the other only two people who have seen the movie here at Funhouse. We have Omar. <laughs> is that true? Hey, yeah. hey, all right. It's true. And then above <laughs> me is Justin. Hey. All right. I so movie. if I, you haven't I watched seen it because Justin said it was good. Oh, really? Wow. Oh. Wow. My recommendation. Did you like it? Yeah, I fucking loved it. I think yeah. we're going to get like all into that. Like instant classic. <laughs> yeah. Instant classic. We're going to get into that. Um, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, it's about a. Uh, according to IMDb, a quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Directed by Michael Rianda and co-directed by Jeff Rowe and very importantly, pro co-produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who we'll also be talking about today because uh, uh, they're key to this uh, they're key to this production and, in my opinion, key to s the future of cinema itself. So we'll get into that. Uh, we'll Damn. also be also touching uh, on, maybe if we have time, on the Venom trailer and um, going from there. <clears throat> so let's get into it, guys. I want to hear your, your, your first reviews, like uh, the first things you thought about when you saw this movie. What was going through your head? What emotions were you feeling, Omar and Justin? Justin, since you saw it first, let's go with you. What did you, what was your first take on this film? I just, yeah, just really genuinely enjoyed it. It was had a great sense of humor, uh, just solid storytelling. The animation's out of control, just like so Amen. cool, so beautiful. Um, yeah, it just felt like it was everyone. Everyone was firing all cylinders. Like all the jokes landed, all the bits. Um, I didn't really know much. I had seen, I think, the trailer, and my I had a friend that was working on it that was telling me about it. So it was like on my radar. So I wanted to see it, but I, I kind of just, I think someone, someone was just like, it's on Netflix. Like I didn't know it was going to be one of those like same day drops, but yeah, yeah I thought easy it was, yeah. And it was weirdly like kind of, you know, good timing on their part in the sense that it's about being stuck with your family. So I thought it was yes. like a very relevant, like, you know, it was made much, much long before the, the pandemic was on anyone's radar as as animation productions go. I'm sure they worked on it for a couple of years at least. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was that was really interesting. But, yeah, super, super fun, solid movie. It's funny how there's a certain there's a couple movies that have been like helped by the pandemic in a weird way, like in the sense that, that, that their themes are kind of relevant because of it. Another one that comes to mind is Palm, Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg movie, which mm. like got put, it wasn't to be theatrically released, but then it got dumped during the pandemic. And it's literally about being stuck in a monotonous everyday routine, you know, and that's kind of exactly what everyone was going through when they watched it. Anyway, Omar, what did you think? First thoughts on the film? I mean, I, I have very similar first thoughts. Like, so I was, I, I forget what we were doing, but we we're talking about stuff. And then I was talking with Justin and, and I think Lindsay or somebody, we were talking about animation and stuff like that and, and things to do. And this movie came up, Mitchell's Rooster Machine. And I had heard of it, you know, I was like, oh, I, I knew it was coming because for some reason I was, I thought it was tied to the people who made Gravity Falls, but I, is that not it, right? It is. Yeah. I think the directors were the people that worked on or created gravity yes Falls. you're right yes yeah. okay cool yeah so like that, that's writers, why it was on my radar because because gravity falls is one of my favorite cartoons in recent you know in recent history like one of the best hmm. never seen a frame of it 
It's Thank you for fucking the amazing. It's so it's so good. It's such a good cartoon to watch. Um, but yeah, I was I was excited to watch it. Like I got a little worried bit of the length because you know people talk about like oh it's it's basically two hours long. But mm-hmm. as I was watching it, I never noticed how long it was. I was laughing out loud many times during like like usually things are funny and like I find things funny or whatever. But I don't like actively am I, I'm actively laughing out loud by myself watching television or whatever, you know, like I'm still enjoying myself or whatever, but I actively laughed a, a bunch of times during this movie. I thought the animation was phenomenal and that, yep. and all the stuff they tied into, like, cause there was a lot of like, you know, like real world items put into the movie too, like actual paper and, or I, I would assume unless they're, they're that fucking magic at animation to make things look that realistic, but they, you know, they did a really good job of like mixing art styles and doing a bunch of stuff. And I think, you know, all the learnings they got from doing Into the Spider-Verse came through in this movie and like just just made it feel super genuine and awesome. And and like I I love that little family, like the dynamic that that family has is so realistic and and in a impossible setting, obviously, you know, like the the uprising of the of the machines and stuff is like a tropey mm-hmm. sci-fi thing or whatever, but like the, the, the family story felt really genuine and real and like was emotional at times was super funny at times. Like I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was an amazing movie. I, I, yeah. I definitely walked away from it thinking like, damn, what a, what a good two hour, like what an uplifting experience to, you know, in this time where I'm, I'm like in a weird headspace because of pandemic and other shit and all this stuff. Like it was just, it felt good. A hundred percent agree. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I have a lot to say about what you just said. You know, you kind of, you kind of touched on it all there. Um, first off, the animation. It's interesting that you brought up, you know, the Spider-Verse, because obviously in what they, what they quote, they learned from the Spider-Verse, because essentially this was produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who also produced the Spider-Verse movies, but directed by different people. So... Uh, Obviously, Phil Lord's uh, uh, and Chris Miller's animation studio, you can kind of see their footprints all over the movie in terms of the style. Like, uh, especially if you've seen like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, their first mm-hmm. animated movie, like it has that same, I don't know how you call it, but like, or describe it, but like fluorescent tones throughout. There's just kind of real cool, almost tie dye like colors. Uh, uh, that make that make the, the animation really pop. But then also, yeah, like you said, the. the yeah, the, yeah, the, the, they're also mixing lots of different styles, which is exactly what Spider Verse did in a really cool way. I, you know, if I'm gonna be petty and nitpicky, you know, and compared to all their other films, I would not put it at the top. I'm talking about Lord and Miller. Like, uh, uh, I think that the, the in terms of the the, the the trope of the girl being really into filmmaking and having these kind of wacky animations everywhere, pretty cool style. But like sometimes it was kind of. I don't know. It didn't add anything to me. It was just kind of like, oh, that's just a thing there to make. Does it feel kid, too close kid, to kids home happy? for you? You know, like I, like I'm not to not to shit on you or whatever, but like <laughs> that is the kind of stuff you know, like those dumb animations and like uh-huh. that's classic classic YouTube. I feel like, and, and yeah. Ryan Ryan's shorts fits into that mold. Often? <laughs> well, okay. Here, here's the thing. I, I, I guess I like it. It, it. To me, maybe it was just overdone a little bit. It was just. It okay. was. It okay. came up a lot. So I, I did like because that was in terms of uh, how much it made you laugh. 
Um, so the hardest that made me laugh was those moments where it would it would like do some meme thing, you know, like like, like the thing with the monkey, uh, uh, the monkey's head going crazy, spazzing out over the animated footage was something I hadn't seen in an animated movie before. And then yeah, the the, the hard cut, the hard cuts, they made it very YouTubey in a good way. Uh, it was just yeah, the the weird, you know. Uh, kinetic animations that popped up fairly frequently is all I was com- critiquing. But uh, yeah, the hardest I laughed the whole time was when they cut to that supposed YouTube video uh, when 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 the when the dad is freaking out about, well, he's like, has the world gone mad? And he's watching a YouTube video of somebody going, decommission, uh, yeah, what do they say? Decommission tapioca. Or no, oh, deregulate yeah. tapioca. Deregulate like, tapioca. Such a good gag. <laughs> that, was the, that was the hardest I laughed the whole movie. I wish I laughed harder throughout the film. I, 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 it, because this is definitely one of the, the reason I love the film so much. It wasn't necessarily that it was making me laugh out loud the whole time, although there was some of those moments. But this movie knows how to bring the feels, which is what I yeah. look for in my animated movie. This makes you know, it, like you said, the the characters were so well fleshed out, and the family dynamic was great. Everyone has a dysfunctional family at the end of the day, or you're one of the posies. <laughs> you're the perfect neighbors. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, I thought that I thought that uh, that relationship that the mom has with the posies was super funny and like oh, you know like super. Yeah. I mean that is that is Instagram culture, right? Like that is the thing. So funny to me, and the, the <laughs> fact that the the son was in love with that daughter and stuff like that, like uh, so funny. Um, <laughs> and like Maya Rudolph, amazing, right? Like yeah, I'm sorry. Who was she in this movie? The mom. She's the mom. Linda. She's the only one that like looks like they 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 styled the character after her. Like none of the rest of them got that like that that treatment, but she Mm -hmm. did. You know. Yeah. Um, She was my favorite character. Her performance was amazing. Yeah, Yeah. her performance was amazing. I didn't know that was her. It was weird to me that like she was the one that looked like her character, but was the least. Like the character was the least Maya Rudolph persona that yeah that of them, you know. Like everyone uh-huh. else was kind of playing the thing that you expect from those actors, but except for her, which I thought was really funny and cool, you know, because yeah. you know Maya Rudolph is fucking amazing in so many things. You know, she's got such a crazy range of stuff, not just SNL style funny. Totally, you know? yeah. And and yeah. I loved her moment where where when she gets her mom superpowers, yes. uh, <laughs> so and good. becomes the harbinger like, of robot doom. <laughs> when they get scared of her, they're like, Oh shit, she's here. And they all run away. <laughs> I thought that was super funny. And there was yeah. actual, like, like the robot blood was great. I'm, I, I'm glad they didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, wuss out on the robot blood. There was some extreme <laughs> graphic robot blood for a kid's movie there. I didn't know yeah, robots had blood. I was like really impressed with a few things too. Like one, I always think it's really difficult and like, usually I feel like you should avoid it, but like when you bring in like memes into like a film or like kind of like cultural things that can either date it really bad or be kind of yeah. cringeworthy or, but like they found like the perfect balance where they were kind of reflecting on like the idea, like they, like they were self-aware the of like memes. Yeah. The tone of the memes and then like bringing in their own kind of style to it. Uh, that kind of, you don't have to be fully aware of it. And it will, I think last longer, like even, you know, generations growing up later could watch it and still kind of get stuff from it and not be uh, too out of the woods or too confused on like what they're even referencing. But, and then also I thought they, they did a really good job at kind of having something there for like every generation of person that has interacted with like the internet or technology, like the kind of, from the, the, the son, I forget his name, the youngest kid to like the dad and kind of everyone has their, 
their relationship with technology or like with the internet. So like the audience watching kind of can like relate to a perspective that mm-hmm. one of the characters has. Like the mom's a little bit, the mom's older, but she's more on top of it and has a better understanding. The dad's like the oldest kind of like dinosaur, like has a understanding of the internet and of that culture, but like, you know, is much more connected to the old ways of things. And like the, you know, he likes camping, he likes outdoors, fixing things. So I thought they did like a really good job at kind of, prov- there's something there for everyone. So like a, a family like the Mitchells could watch it and everyone would enjoy it, which is impressive. Absolutely. And, and, uh, uh that's kind of a hallmark to me of, uh, the Lord and Miller films. I keep saying that with the, their name a lot, but, but, uh, they're so densely written, like the scripts, not one line, not one scene is unnecessary. Every single thing pay- has kind of a payoff at the end and moves the story forward. Like, like I'm thinking, you know, they're cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Uh, the, uh, the fucking uh, 21 Jump Street films, uh, uh, the Spider-Verse, the Lego movie, yeah, Lego you know, movie. Um, like every one of those films, like, like has a bunch of different themes going on. And just to run by, run through some, like some of the ones in this, in this one film, you know, yeah, we're dealing with, with technology and how different generations deal with it. We're dealing with leaving home and uh, how that affects a family. We're dealing with with being there for your family, even when you don't understand them kind of thing. You know, we have a, a, a strong uh, gay character at the, at the front of this kid's movie, which is, which is, you know, I'm glad that that's happening. And, and, and it wasn't like, like that th- they played it off in such a good way that it's, that, that it's just kind of a normal thing. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, Hey daughter, like, like you're going to go on a date, you're going on a date with somebody at the end. And it's just, uh, uh, I like how they dealt with that whole issue. Um, then we had fucking, um, uh, you know, uh, brother-sister dynamics. We just had so much going on in this movie. Like you said, every single person got their own story arc that was completely uh, completed and felt so good and and, uh, and dense that, yeah. What did you guys think about the writing, Omar? Uh, I mean, I thought, I, yeah, like I, I thought the, the, the storytelling, like I'm not... I'm not like super conscious of writing usually. Like that's not the, I'm not that kind of film person where I'm Uh conscious of that stuff. Like I'm not usually conscious of like score and stuff like that either, but like tone and feel of how it all goes down. Like you said, I feel like they, they, there wasn't, there wasn't stuff in there that I felt was, was extra or unneeded. And I think tone tonally, like they hit really, they hit heavy topics and, and made me feel things about each character individually that um i you know like the that must have been the writing that must have been writing and storyboarding and all that stuff like that's how that stuff gets conveyed and uh i th- i thought it was awesome i you know like the the dad's story was was especially awesome like not because i relate to it uh specifically but you know like just that feeling how like i you know i get that sense in general like the way that the society is right now, you know, like the way that society is for like my generation or whatever, like dads get left out of a lot, you know, like moms get a lot of love when your kids are older or whatever, but like dads get like, get pushed off to the side usually. And I feel like that, that story was really relevant to all of that stuff, you know, because Mm -hmm. like he's, he's disconnected from the family in a different way where he's, he's more old school or whatever and more outdoorsy and he's having trouble grappling with like the new reality of how the internet and everything has affected everyday life technology Mm -hmm. and stuff but also like you know he's just a dad he wants to stay connected with his family he loves his children and he wants to like still have that you know when we when she was a baby 
like they were inseparable, you know, she, he just wants that kind of emotional connection still, you know, even though he doesn't understand where she's coming from, he's just striving for that emotional connection. And that was like very present in the movie. And I think like, that was like totally one of the, the main themes was him mm-hmm. coming to terms with like reality and her coming to terms with like, Oh, he just wants to still be my dad and totally. do stuff, do this stuff together. And I don't know, that was really good and emotional feeling. I feel like they conveyed that really, really well. Yeah, it was very well told. The, 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 the other big theme of the film I would even suggest is what it literally means to be a human, right? Like they, uh, uh, and, and how we're all flawed and how our flaws can turn out to be good things, right? Cause, and I think that that's kind of crystallized in that one scene where they have to act like robots, right? So yeah. <laughs> th- they're going through the thing and it's like, oh shit, we're all these weird fucked up people but we have to act as stoic and normal and sterile as a robot. And uh, if we don't, they're going to find us and they just can't do it because they're human beings and they're going to not be robots and that's okay. <laughs> and, you know, just be who you be who, who you are, man. Um, so yeah. I, 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 I thought there was a lot of good cultural commentary on that kind of thing and technology. What are you going to say, Justin? Yes. And so it was like, and it, maybe this is, I thought this way about like uh, the Spider Verse movie as well, which see, I I didn't even realize. Yeah, same producers and I'm sure same animation team. But just in in terms of the writing, like it's always it's always so great to see uh, like especially in like genre like a sci-fi or something. Like this is a sci-fi movie technically, but like you don't the the fact that robots are attacking and there's all these crazy set pieces is like so secondary because you're so invested right. in the characters and like the their stories and like their relationships and i think that's like such such a great thing that so many so many movies especially like big action sci-fi movies completely forget about and then they you don't care about them and they're like fleeting where and it's it was most impressed to like in this movie and especially with Spider Spider Verse because I feel like a lot of times when the, there's already like an IP and there's already like you know it's a Spider Man movie then they're just gonna kind of lean on that and they the story will be secondary to like the crazy set pieces or action uh, mm-hmm. actions or uh, all the action set pieces but in both of these movies like. No, you're like you're wrapped up in the characters, especially I thought in this one, like you the the relationships is what I was so invested in, and like there's so so many good you know so much good growth and character arcs and like how they all deal with one another that like I when I think about the movie I like forget it's this wild sci-fi action movie because I I'm mostly just thinking about like the emotional impact of the this family story and I think that's like a sign of a great movie, especially a sign of a a great like sci-fi movie or action movie because all the sci-fi and action is tight and it's great and the animation and the action is cool but like at the end of the day the thing that makes it last and that like what sticks with you is that emotional impact and i thought yeah they're the storytelling and was just top-notch in that regard this episode of film house is sponsored by bespoke post Spring is here, and you're finally going to be able to go out and do things again. So make sure to take Bespoke Post outside on all your outdoor adventures. James and Elise are still talking about how much they love their Bespoke Post stuff. James got a big knife, and he told me he loves it. Bespoke Post is the perfect outdoor companion no matter the activity. Their Box of Awesome has new boxes every single month to upgrade your life. 
They just released their spring boxes and they're filled with all kinds of adventure gear. Like a perfect lazy hammock with a camping blanket or a lightweight hiking backpack. And of course a water bottle to keep you hydrated when you go exploring. Take the quiz at boxofawesome.com to get started and they'll pick out the perfect box for you. Every box costs $45 but has $70 worth of cool stuff inside of it. So, get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code FILMHOUSE at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code FILMHOUSE for 20% off your first box. One day, Victorian London is shaken to its core when a supernatural event gives certain people the touched unusual powers. Now they're all facing grave danger, relentless enemies, and a mission that could change the world. The touched are part of something bigger, and with Touch Base, you can be part of it too. The Touch Base is HBO's official, fan-driven The Never's Companion podcast. Plus, you know and love the host. Join Barbara Dunkelman and Jessica Vasami each week as they dive into the incredible world and characters of The Never's. They're going to be reacting to every jaw-dropping moment, having in-depth conversations with special guests from the show, and theorizing about what might come next. You can hear each episode of The Touch Base after each episode of The Nevers airs on HBO Max, starting April 11th. You can find The Touch Base on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, HBO YouTube, HBO Max, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now to the link in the description so you don't miss an episode. Hell yeah. The um, uh, one thing I, ha I have to say this, uh, uh, you know, talking about like uh, the, when I was initially watching the film, the one thing I could not get out of my brain, which how was how much Mr. Mitchell looks like Jack Patillo. Uh, for Mr. T. <laughs> Does anyone else see this? Even David Brad even time, sounds I like I see him. what you're saying. Yeah, like I yes. wasn't. That wasn't what. I mean, to me, it was like, man, they really wanted Ron Swanson in this character. But they got Danny McBride, who didn't play up Danny McBride at all, but like, no. still did a good job. But like, yeah, they really wanted Ron Swanson for this character. They should, well, but, they could have uh, gotten Jack Patillo. Ja yeah, Cody, if you if, if, if you can put a side by side of Mr. Mitchell and Jack Patillo up at some point. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, uh, talking about downplaying the the sci-fi stuff, there was some good sci-fi stuff, though, like the existential journey of the Furbies. The whole Furby fight was an amazing. Dude, uh, the, the giant Furby gets revealed. It was so it was so dumb. Like, that whole scene in the mall was so funny to me. Like, yeah. you know, all the appliances coming to life and coming in. There, and, like, each appliance having the exact personality that I would have assumed the appliance had. Uh -huh. You know, like, the toaster ovens and the microwaves and stuff. Like, oh, just so stupid and funny. And then a giant Furby is, like, the main boss of that level. And they, they have the funniest battle with it. Oh, man. It's so good. I love the Furby. Um, come, yeah. yeah, bring back the Furby. I'm here for it. Oh, absolutely. Dude, dude yeah. you remember how many like nightmare Furby stories there was when those things were out They were terrifying. And, like, I want more. And their faces starting to break and <laughs> their looser skin and stuff. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin was the thing in my childhood that was that, you know, like a talking little thing. And when they would break, they would turn into nightmares. They would be absolutely nightmares. And the uh -huh. Furbies are, are like, I guess, a more recent generation of, of that same thing. Have you ever <laughs> seen the Furbies without the like face, like where it's just the like motorized just mechanics? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, the, the exoskeleton thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> the exo Furby. <laughs> I, I love when I, the. Oh yeah, sorry. 
No, I was going to say, like in that in those scenes, you know, like you have the evolution of those two broken robots who like, yes. who are who have consciousness, who have achieved like, you know, like that next level of it all. I thought that their character arc was super funny, too. Like, you know, them playing off each other in and because uh, it was uh, what's his name? Right. The, was it Conan O'Brien? Was or no, was that a different character? Was a, Conan O'Brien was, was a character. Beck Bennett, I think, was one of them. The, the SNL and, uh, guy. And then Fred. With, uh, uh, Fred yeah, Fred Armisen. Armisen. Yeah. Oh. The SNL And like, just had that, like, you know, because Fred Armisen does that perfect, like, meekness to sure. a character. But, yeah, like, them playing off each other and then slowly deciding one one way or the other, <laughs> painting faces on themselves so they could appear human or whatever. Like, uh, so stupid. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the, – the, they were great characters kind of uh, melding between the robots and humans. I love whenever the, one of the Mitchell – or, like, Mr. Mitchell is talking like a stereotypical robot, like, I'm a robot. And then one of them says, uh, you know, that's a very hurtful stereotype to us or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> just to, you know, he goes, just to educate you, that's a very hurtful stereotype. I love that line. Um, uh, so, okay. Go, oh, yeah. One nit, one other nitpick. You know, I, 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 this is an animated cartoon for children, but I have to nitpick the logic sometimes. Uh, that dog was way too powerful at the end of that movie. <laughs> How every ro- it, it literally single handedly saved the robot apocalypse just because they didn't know if it was a potato. And it doesn't look that much like a potato. <laughs> Has anyone else on the same page with me? <laughs> no, it was so, silly. It was, it was cute. It was just like. And that's kind of where I guess where I I was so I was so invested in in like everything else that I was like oh that's just fun that's like a silly it ties it in with the cop dog with the dad like it, it tied it all together so well that I kind of forgave how you know it, it was a bit like extreme over the top and extreme <laughs> and it happened like, once yes but it literally yeah. it's like they go up to one group and they're like oh it works and then they just beat every single robot by, by, yeah it was like an explosive shockwave yeah. yeah it was it was a bit <laughs> it was the emp yeah it was the yeah. EMP from the matrix or whatever <laughs> but yeah like they put that dog in some fucking danger too like <laughs> strapping him to the front of a car and running into shit and all that stuff and the dog is apparently there is a real like they they recorded a real dog like it was a real like there's a doug doug the pug apparently is the credit so there's a real dog actor performing <laughs> yeah. mo-capped as a potato I don't think it was just the the sound of it panting or breathing because like pugs have like such a if you've ever had a pug or live with a pug like you you hear them (laughs) they're struggling to just be a pug Uh, (laughs) just to live but uh, one um one thing also about the end of this film that really kind of touched me in an unexpected way was the the closing credits how they literally how they they show like family photos of every single person in the credits that uh, that had an odd effect on me because i'm just like yes that's uh, you know this you kind of are like every single person that touches this movie has a has a family has their own mitchell's family that they're a part mm-hmm. of you know and so it's it's like this is the movie we just watched you know is uh unfolding every you know through every single person that touches it i thought that that was it, a cool little uh little touch it's super endearing and i i I, per, I just really think that like credit sequences are I, always underutilized. Like I love when the credit sequence has like that. Like that was a perfect credit sequence. It, it 
talked about the theme. It kind of shows you the people behind like, oh yeah, this was made by humans. This was made by mm -hmm. families. Like people yeah. put their real experiences in this. So I thought that was really endearing. But yeah, I love, I feel like it's always a, just kind of a missed opportunity when there's just like a credit black and white credit scroll with just text. I was like, no, there's like, there's still more. And I feel like the, the like animated movies utilize that more than other ones. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And this one was super su sweet. Well, I wonder like too, because of the way streaming is and stuff and the way that a lot more movies are starting to release and you see that uh, even with like HBO and stuff, right? Like all those movies coming out day and date on streaming services, like credits in movie theaters barely get the attention from the audience than, than they deserve. You know, like they're, you, you know, you can fight about whatever and like, oh, the, you know, the under the line people deserve credit because they put a lot of fucking effort into making this mm -hmm. thing a product that we're all watching. But yeah, like taking advantage of the fact that, you know, like putting something there that keeps people invested and, and they can see all of the love and effort that went into something is even harder in the streaming world, right? Because like you're not at yeah. a location, you're still, you're not like still in your seat and you're kind of just like getting ready to get going or whatever. You just hit a button and you're on to the next thing. Well, yeah. not only that, they, they, like, they, yeah. they, they, they skip it for you. Yeah, They're like, oh, yeah. I know. The second it's, it's over. Right. It's, rude. Yeah. I can't yeah, like, like I can't believe no one Netflix gets away with that. Like <laughs> even on their own things, you know, like their own productions yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah, they the you know, the the next one, the timer starts in, in five seconds, you're on to the next episode or whatever. Right. But yeah, I, that's why to, to game people's to, uh, sociology or, or even the algorithm. Yeah, you, if you put effort into the credit sequence like this time, then people are gonna want to watch it. They're gonna <laughs> wanna see the people behind it. So yeah, oh, I want uh, people yeah. should watch it, or they're going to start getting a lot more pre-movie credits too, because that's the, yeah. way, the other way around. That stuff is having everything happen before the movie. Happens. Yeah, nine minutes of pre-preview, pre-credits. <laughs> I, I want to say I read some interview recently where, like, I think it was Tarantino complained about this exact thing to Ted, the the CEO of Netflix, Ted Sarandos or whatever, and was like, like getting giving him shit for uh, for for skipping the 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 credits, and he was like, yeah, and Ted even he, he agreed with me and shook his head he knew i was right but he <laughs> he, he, he wasn't going to do it because of his business bullshit but yeah um i thought that was funny uh okay so getting in uh i think we've kind of talked mostly everything about this film but uh, uh just kind of dovetailing into um into lord and miller who like i said at the beginning of this to me are the future of cinema and what do i mean by that fellas well this uh, luckily was an original film, original script and everything, you know, which is what I hope we get more out of people like this. Uh, but I think that's kind of rare today because most of the most of the time you're getting some prepackaged IP, right? Some, you know, it's either a sequel or it's an adaptation of something we've all heard of. Those are the only things that people, uh, uh, big studios uh, will will gamble on these days but that's why phil you know if you're not familiar with with lord and miller they they basically are the kings of taking product ip that you would never normally think would be a good movie 21 jump street who the fuck has heard of that in 30 years a lego movie who the fuck would want to watch a movie about little plastic bricks you know um an animated spider move spider fan movie for for families and kids i don't know but they do it and they kill it every single time. And so, that, so, so what I mean by, uh, you know, that and what I want to get into the discussion about is I think, unfortunately, since we're so obsessed with, 
you know, redigesting the stuff we've already had, that the best way around that is to make original stuff out of the redigested stuff we've already had. Is to just take, you know, if you're going to remake something, remake it creatively and know that people are going to come just because it has the name on the poster that, that, that you got paid to, uh, to write about, but then you can still kind of use it as a blank slate to make whatever awesome film you want. And uh, uh, I think 21, the 21 Jump Street films are a great example of that. Nobody, no kid would know what the original 21 Jump Streets are about, but they went and saw it because, you know, Channing Tatum and, uh, and what's his face? Super bad man was in it. Was in it, and then it had an amazing script and an amazing, amazing directed film wrapped around it. So my question to you all—that was a rambling way to present a question <laughs> to you—and say, um, uh, a, what do you think about that? But b, more importantly, what's an old property that you, if you could give to Lord and Miller, if you could give to the, these most creative guys in Hollywood, you know, what's an old thing that you wouldn't think would be a good movie that? you think could be a good movie in the right hands like these guys? Um, hmm. I'm going to keep well, thinking about the, the thing to give to them, but like, I, I think it's awesome. I, I, like, I love when the little, like, cause they're, they're not the only like, you know, little duo or whatever you see come up and like have, have genuinely good ideas and takes on subjects or whatever, you know, like that's mm-hmm. it. I, I feel like seeing them succeed is reassuring, right? Because there are a lot of people like that. You know, there are a lot of people out there like that who are doing, who have, who have talent in making products like this and should be getting the opportunity to make them. And it's awesome that they actually are, you know, in this place where the same names come up over and over again. It doesn't matter what it is. Like it's cause you're right. They're, they're banking on either the product name, the property name, or like the person behind it. You know, they're not, they're not, uh, which I think Lord and Miller may have may have elevated themselves into being a recognizable name by some. So like when they're attached to a project, that's kind of a draw for certain people. But they're mm. not like you know they're not they're not the you know Tarantino is an example, but like he is that status right where like it doesn't matter what it is if it's got his name on it, you're like oh this is this is something I should be I should be conscious of. Absolutely. And that that model of director that is, you know, up on top, that top build director is gone. Basically, there's like you said, there's like five of them now. There's essentially Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese. And honestly, I can't think of another like maybe Taika Waititi uh, and Wes Anderson, where it's like, all right, those guys, they're making a movie. It doesn't matter what it's about, but you're going to get butts and seats for it. But that's so rare these days. It's like and and uh, maybe Jordan Peele, too. but it, it, but yeah, to, to, I think it's, uh, I think more people should try to find, because obviously the, 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 uh, what those guys have is like a lottery. Somebody says, yes, we'll make whatever you want. Let's go. Uh, and, and obviously you have, you have your reservoir dogs or your memento to, to get to that status. But I think if more people took, you know, the Lord and Miller route, which is like, we're just good writers. We can write, we can make anything good and just come to us with your property that you know is a billion dollar property and we'll make, we will turn it through, turn it good through our brain machines. Um, that is, I think, a economic and creative out, you know, uh, way to make original movies in the future. As yeah, opposed to I just be like, all right. I, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad that they are so successful and that they, the, this movie was a success and an original, which is awesome. Cause yeah, you always want to see more of that, but obviously like, movies are financed by non-creative people <laughs> these days mm-hmm. and like you said so like most of the movies that are going to be made are based on 
these something that will be a, a less risky return on investment. So something that already exists, some IP that already exists in 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 people's minds, and so it's it's great. Like the this duo, I, I have like a lot of admiration for because so much of the time it's they don't the people creating the movie don't really care if it's good or not. It just has to like check off some boxes. Like it has to, if it's based on this property, all right, just like make sure these things are in the trailer so that people are going to go see it. Like whether it's, you know, reviving any of these old IPs or taking these movies, but like, I think it's the, they can be like there, like you said. There's so many opportunities for these movies, even though it, it, they're bringing it back. It doesn't have to be a rehash. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it can be something good, and it can be something new while still being. And I think, yeah, like because apparently, you know, the 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 business model right now is these huge kind of tentpole movies that they're going to spend, you know, more than more than ha- double the budget on advertising itself. That then than the actual production of the movie that they're going to choose these these ideas that are not necessarily derivative but are just like of something you already know like they're going to take every IP that you already know and then kind of make movies so it's like so exciting and refreshing to see uh, people kind of find creative ways to like work within that boundary and I think they've I'm forgetting their name. Just Philip Lord and Lord and Miller. I've only said Lord it and Miller times. So on yeah, this and podcast. you only said it like 400 times. I kept thinking it as like one name, but yeah, it's two people. Yeah. Lord and Miller. They do like such an excellent job of working within that. You know, it's not maybe it's not the most exciting or innovative uh, time for movies because of this, like because it's so wrapped up in this kind of like financial investment. But they make it so fresh and interesting and i hope that inspires like more people to take similar routes or that they get you know they get more success and and it kind of people begin to value like oh like i want my movies to be emotionally impactful uh and not just have you know something i know in it i I think that oh sorry you go go over well i i I don't know maybe we're going to go down the same tangent like i wonder like it's a society thing, right? Like these are, this is like a chicken and egg problem. I feel like, like the rehashing of old properties is, is to me is akin to people sitting down and rewatching old TV that they've already seen 50 times, you know, because there's like, there, there's like an, an, an anxiety thing that gets relieved when you know what's coming, when you know what's coming. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. It's like a comfort, it's like comfort food, but for your brain, because you you don't have to you're not you're not worrying about what's the next thing you already kind of know you know what's coming up and it's just reassuring to have that that confidence in the future or whatever I don't know it's an anxiety thing and like I know that I do that constantly like I rewatch I'm <clears throat> whenever whenever I'm just like I don't know what's going on or whatever like the first thing I do is like put on something that I know what it is like I rewatch Futurama or I rewatch Seinfeld or some like some other thing that I've seen way too many times you know like straight up i've watched the futurama series even the new stuff start to finish too many times to count you know just because like i put it on and it just plays and Uh that's that's my that's my like anxiety drug of choice you know like i need to calm my brain down things are stressful or whatever like put on something comforting and i know that the rest of like the world had there's there's a degree of that with the whole world you know 
And I wonder if that's, that's like what needs to happen for, for original properties to be popular again, to be financially popular again is the world needs to get a little less anxious about the future. (laughs) (laughs) Those are, those are hard problems to solve, but also like, you know, like, like you're right, Justin, like I think original properties, there's, there's a, there's a value there and there's like, you know, like seeing new things and seeing new ideas get taken to a good places like that. There's real value there, not just rehashing old ideas. But I think the, the financial part of it, like rehashing all ideas is that comfort food for people who are there immediately going to spend their dollars on. And I, and like, hey, I don't know how yeah. you fix that problem. Well, spoiler, you don't fix that problem. People are always going to be anxious. And, <laughs> and well, I think too, to Ryan's be- point, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I would say too, like, it kind of, I feel oh, like ahead. you did make that point. Cause I feel like what, what they're doing is that like slowly, like, because they, the Lord and Miller can kind of package something new, it, it, wrap it in something old and familiar. Then I think eventually people are like, like the fact that this movie was a huge success, be, like, even though it was original, I mean, it's it kind of played on, on familiar tropes but it was technically a completely new ip and it was a, mm-hmm. I, I assume it seems like it was a huge success but it kind of came off of like them doing repackaging things that you knew into something great so it's like okay like i you know people not only financial institutions but also like the general public of us and the audience like everyone was willing to kind of give this thing a, like a shot because it you know it you it was something new but also familiar in a way something so. new but different baby that is the uh. spice of hollywood and show business mm-hmm. um yeah the essentially my theory is is that human beings while i love them collectively are idiots and we can't we don't know what we want until we get it essentially we're like yes you know give me mcdonald's give me but i want it different a little bit you know give me give me that thing i like but but Changed it completely up. And I and I think essentially the studio reaction to that is, all right, well, we're going to give these people what they want. We're going to give them their McDonald's. But then they end up making the thing by committee, essentially, where you're like, all right, this is, you know, we, we, we pulled a thousand people. They told us that this is what they like about this, you know, our movie. So we need to make it exactly like this. And then it becomes this cold, distant thing that, yeah, it has all the elements of the movies we like, but it's like you know, a, a committee of people, including us, the audience shouldn't be writing the movies. It should, uh, uh, you need somebody kind of taking your, misdirecting you and taking, you know, taking you on a ride through their vision of the movie. And I think that that Lord and Miller are just savants at that. You know, they, they, they know what you want. They know why you're there to watch the movie. They want you, they want to entertain you, but then they also are taking you on all these little miss, you know, thing, uh, uh, little routes, like a good writer. And, uh, uh, they're giving you the same thing, but different, you know, and, 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 and by the end of it, you feel like, wow, this is totally original. And I don't remember that I'm watching literally a movie about little plastic bricks or about an 80s sitcom that no one watches. You're like, this was something new and fresh and cool. And it felt cool. And, uh, and it's funny how then they parlayed that into getting onto star Wars and then they got kicked off of it. That's a little side tangent, but um, that is, that's funny. Cause I was the one I was like, I wish that I would love to see, uh, <laughs> Lord the and Miller Star Wars. Any of it. Give him another so- one. Give it, yeah, give <laughs> yeah. it like that. That I feel like that whole Star Wars universe needs some 
something exactly like this. Well, it made like, so much like sense skills, when they hired them. Uh, yeah, they were like, oh yeah, uh, of course you get those guys to make a new Star Wars movie because they're going to give you this, you know, the old Star Wars, but in a new repackaged way. But I guess it was yeah. too new and too different and too fresh for the yeah, probably the for same. The it's the same thing that uh, you know Edgar Wright got got like not kicked off, but basically forced to leave Ant-Man or whatever, you know, like that's you're, right. You're, yeah. You're too, yeah. it's, you're not close enough to the, to the, you know, you're not following the plan close enough here, but you know, who knows, yeah, that, been the, that probably would have been the pinnacle movie until Ragnarok was a thing too, you know? Marvel does it really – their whole uh, thing with Kevin Feige or whatever is very strange to me because, yeah, they get these very auteur-driven filmmakers that have a very distinct aesthetic and look and stuff. But then they put them into this you know, system that uh, you, you have to conform to. You cannot just make your, your whimsy, you know, auteur-driven $300 million Marvel movie however you want it. There absolutely is people, you know, a committee making this movie. But the committee, I think, is so honed in and good at what they're doing there that uh, they've, they've figured out how to make that work. Um, but, okay, but to, to answer my question from that I posed to everyone earlier, my my uh, property that I would get these guys to make, remake, uh, make a good movie of, is Gumby. I think the world yes. needs a Ooh, good Gumby yeah. movie. Uh, it's because it's just... All you really need is the character, you know, the, and and the horse, and uh, and then Pokey. Yeah. You don't know Pokey. The I'm sorry. And the blockheads. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love. I and was, the blockheads. It escaped my mind. And the blockheads. But, <laughs> Jesus. But then you're great. Then you, that's all you need. Those are the those four characters, you know. And then you can make your own would, universe from there. And everyone loves Gumby. You just like looking at him. He's fun. He's funny. Would you want it to go adult-ish, like like moral oral style or something like that? I mean, as like adult, Lego as, movie, like Lego as adult movie. as Lego movie, yeah, I'd want to be just as adult as a PG, family-friendly Gumby movie that everyone wants to go watch, you know? I feel the like you're doing that with, like, the Peanuts, too, like a like a new take on the Peanuts where it's a little more... I think that just happened. Uh, oh, really? Th- well, I think they just made... Yeah, didn't they just make a... Like a, a CG a, Peanuts or yeah, something? Yeah, CGI I think Peanuts right. movie. Yeah. I don't okay. know if oh, it was a know. little edgier. But yeah, I also think, like, I thought was so cool about the lego movie was the style and like the animation it like felt like it was like a stop motion like it felt stop motion even though it was a you know cutting edge animation so i feel like yeah gumby is is perfect for that that's brilliant that's a brilliant answer thank you i i loved gumby as a kid but for the life of me right now i cannot remember the tone of gumby at all it's kind of terrifying. I liked it, but I was also scared of it. Like the sound design and like the way that they moved was like, it was kind of unsettling to me as a child, but I was so fascinated by what I was seeing. So I feel like they could play off of that. It's got a weird, it's got a weird tone. It's psychedelic, man. It. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it does make yeah, I feel like a, like a drug trip or whatever. There's probably Absolutely. like, what about like, uh, do you guys remember Felix the Cat? at all yeah this is, like, this is uh, hell yeah even felix the cat i think but yeah like that that'd be stuff. a good one um betty yeah, boop like peanut <laughs> betty boop well, i don't betty know boop, betty like, boop would play these days yeah betty boop maybe not <laughs> yeah. like the betty boop version the version of betty boop from who framed roger rabbit turn <laughs> okay. that into, into a series You're like what is her life like because she's like yeah. she's seen some shit you know and like <laughs> she's been around she's seen some shit like what is her life like now? Um, yeah, man. Yeah, peanuts. What I think would be good. Like, there's a bunch of old like uh, kid properties too that are still haven't been super remined. Like He Man 
or uh they've been uh, trying to make a he-man for a while uh, or yeah. remake a he-man for a little bit but uh or but they, that, like, that, what, that is a good one yeah um thundercats thundercats yeah that was the other one. i was like what's the what's he-man but not he-man it's thundercats yeah well, what was That'd the puppet one? one thunderbirds wasn't that the puppets uh, Oh remember. yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual puppets that yes. yeah, it was like uh, or, what are they? Yeah, marionettes. Yeah, the, yeah that's the, the uh, uh, I think Team America was was inspired by Thundercats. Yeah, definitely. Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin, do you have a property that you'd like to remake for Lauren Miller? Uh, maybe I I've kind of been wanting uh, a Gremlins remake. Nice. Live yes. action, but I feel like yeah, they could handle that. Um, I feel like, yeah, like to me, the, the minions was like a, uh, really too soft and like, it's similar to if like you kind of look at the Despicable Me movies, the, especially the minions one, like the minions are gremlins, but they don't like curse or smoke cigarettes or kill people. Um, or I don't know if they curse, but they definitely kill people and smoke cigarettes. So I kind of felt like the gremlins would be a minions movie for adults like it wouldn't be for yes. even though like the old gremlins i watched as a kid i probably shouldn't have but like i kind of would love <laughs> I mean, like it a, 80s, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was 80 everything yeah <laughs> anything goes but i would love to kind of see like a uh a gremlins movie done again hell gremlins yeah gremlins really three idea. damn i i worry though that like that's gonna go the way of ghostbusters where it has like there's like there is a love and and legacy with the gremlins that no like can you live up to that with yeah maybe new? I don't know but I, I Lord I, well, and Miller I'd I'd give him a shot at it I'd give him uh, a shot at yeah. it yeah with with gremlins you at least have the gremlins that are that you'll still will be fun to watch you know and will be a draw whereas I, I guess in the Ghostbusters you had the ghosts but they're you know they're so you can't do CGI gremlins. You'll still have to have practical gremlins. So yeah, I don't think they can And also fuck like that up. the Ghostbusters too, like it was the gremlins are the star of gremlins. Yeah. I don't even right. remember who's in it, but like Dan Aykroyd and, uh, Bill Murray and, uh, what's this say? Egon. I forget his actor's name. They're all like iconic in that movie. And so like Harold to Ramis. me, ghost. Yeah. Harold Ramis to me, like their chemistry is ghostbusters whereas gremlins it's the gremlins and the puppeteers like that did it that shit's out that's like the best part of that so i feel like it would be harder with something like a ghostbusters because Mm -hmm. that crew is is retired or or passed (laughs) yeah and dead Uh, um okay well i think um we're here to the end of this um I, I I I have to say uh, also when I was when I was researching Lord and Miller's IMDb, I remembered that they worked on an untitled Phil Hendry pilot, and I just have to tell everyone that Phil Hendry is my favorite entertainer of all time. Everyone needs to go re- listen to Phil Hendry. He's a radio host. He's a radio guy, right? He's the yeah, guy who does all the voices. Thing. Yes, yes, yes. You know Omar. My literally. That is your. That is your. I'm not even exaggerating. Favorite entertainer ever. I think he's the best that there's, that's ever done it, and uh, um, I stand by that. And so I love that they worked oh with him. God. That is really, uh, man. What a weird pull for you. I guess like super fitting at the same time. <laughs> Dude, he's the best. He's the best. No one can do what he does. Um, okay, um, everyone. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Y'all have any fi- final parting um, words for the folks out in Filmhouse yeah. land? I mean, I don't want to like extend conversation too much longer if you're if you're looking to end or whatever. But it's it's wild to me what Sony Animation Studio has turned itself into. Yeah, they're you know? great. Yeah, they're like it, it used to be like who were who were the people that you were like like oh this is going to be a good animated movie like you know Disney Pixar movies, DreamWorks but yeah like Pixar was like the thing that like crossed over into adults liking animated movies or whatever. Disney movies are always going to have that classic feel and more child child focused or whatever but like you know they're they're fucking disney cartoons they're like there's always going to be a pedigree there dreamworks had that for a while i don't know if they still do honestly but but yeah like sony animated studios or whatever they whatever it was called like i mean i feel like is it is it just lord and miller that are making sony animated movies what they are or is is uh yes Cloudy and the Chance of Meatballs or whatever. Are they? Is that a Sony movie or is that a Dreamworks? Yeah, that was Sony. That was total. That was, Sony so, that was so a Sony like, thing. These guys are the the Kevin Feige of Sony animated. Like I would say, creating, Amy Pass creating an yeah. ecosystem that exists at, at the studio. Amy Pascal started them. You know, she's she was one of the main Sony chair people, and then uh, uh, kind of let them. Uh, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. We haven't talked about Clone High at all. That, that, that's how, really how they got their start was they, they they made Clone High, which I think did start at the at Sony Animation, and then and then got picked up by uh, Cartoon Network or whatever. But then, yeah, they have been given the keys to the kingdom over at Sony Animation, and they helped develop the whole engine with the fluorescent lights that we were talking about earlier. That's totally like a Sony Animation thing. And to your point, I think that at this point in time, like Pixar at this point, like when I see a Pixar movie without knowing it's a Pixar movie, I can kind of tell by the character designs. Like, oh, that's a Pixar character, you know, Soul. If I didn't know it was Pixar, I could guess that it's Pixar based on the character designs in a way, which I think is cool to have that kind of through line uh, style carry over from movie to movie, even though it's a little different every time. But now I think that Sony Animation, you're right, has their own aesthetic. Ha- like I can kind of look at these characters and just by the way they're molded and designed and rendered, it's like yeah, that that, that fits in well with the cloudy people and 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 the the, the Spider Verse uh, character look looks and stuff and and their others. So I think good for them for making a, a you know recognizable aesthetic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's uh, that's our show for today, everyone. Thank you for having me as the uh, fill-in host. I might be coming by every once in a while to do it again. And, oh, yeah, um, uh, here's a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Too late <laughs> sh- now, but yeah. I should have done that earlier. <laughs> yeah, we can't, uh, we can't do it at the end of the show. Okay. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, everyone. Uh, uh, come back next week. Thanks, y'all.